Uh, so hello and welcome to this episode of the Divine Comedians podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Paula Wiseman, and today I am lucky enough to be chatting with actor, writer and stand-up comedian. It's John Caleri. So hey, John, how are you? Hi, Paula. It's a great name for a podcast, by the way. <laughs> I I borrowed it, let's just say. Let's just like, say. Yeah, well, kind of. But... <laughs> I, I borrowed it like somebody else borrowed it. Yeah, well, there you go. There you go, indeed. So I usually like to start off by chatting a little bit about childhood and okay. beginnings. And it's not something we generally know about actors and performers that we, you know, we, we go and see on a daily basis. So you're from Sligo originally mm-hmm. in the west of Ireland. So mm-hmm. what was what was young John like? Um, it's a very long time ago, but uh, <laughs> uh, he was not the older I get and the more people I meet and stuff and families and kids growing up. I don't have any kids. My partner has three mm. teenagers. And, and she says as well that they're exactly the same as they were when they were two or one. And I think I'm exactly the same as I was when I was uh, six or seven, except I probably was a, wasn't, would absolutely in no way at that point ever be able to stand up in front of people and talk. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, yeah. like, were you were you quite outgoing? Were you an outgoing kid? No. Or were you a kind of no. shy, quite shy. shy kid? I was quite. Yeah, I would have said I was quite shy and a bit scared. And um, I remember there's a photograph of me with my mom and dad and brother and sister. Oh, I'd say from when I was maybe five or something like that. Mm-hmm. I kind of remember it, not because I can remember back that far properly, but you know when you have a photograph and you look at it every once, once, once your photograph is, gets taken or got taken back then, you looked at it. Yeah. You remembered immediately what it was like, and then you saw it the next year or a year later or a year later. You never forgot the day that the photograph was taken because you keep getting reminded of it by the photograph. Mm. So um, I was fucking just uh, <laughs> so afraid of the camera. Wow. Crying, going, leave me alone, stop pointing that thing at me, all that shit, which is pretty much what I'm like now. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Like the amount of people that I speak to and they were like, you know, the shyest thing when they were, when they were a kid, but now they're, you know, they make their living from standing in front of people. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of a consistent theme with, with performers. Mm. I, I have to say, and even I would have thought that even as a, shy not so outgoing person when i was younger i would have thought that all performers were super extroverted and super this and super that and super confident but the more i met and the more i saw and the more i experienced it i mm. realized that the opposite is absolutely the opposite maybe that's the thing maybe it's life experience that kind of flicks a switch or something i think so i think it does and um it's like there's a bit of a mcsavage used to always say there's a bit of a want in in comedians yeah uh, i think he's right i think there's a sort of a little little ticks little little oddities in the character not so odd really because so many people share the same oddities Mm. but uh just little things little little 
maybe a bit obsessive, maybe a bit, maybe a touch. I mean, using the language, the way we use language in stand-up and the way yeah. gags happen and the way it's a little bit, you know, I won't say spectrum because that's, I think that word is kind of overused or something. Mm. But it's a bit, there are parts of the brain that kind of adhere to or get involved in wordplay and get involved in changing the language around and making things sound differently. You're doing parodies, changing, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a particular obsessive type of brand that does that yeah i mean that's the thing there's so many different obviously so many different stand-ups and there's literally something for everybody you know yeah. if, if so everyone was doing the same everyone was doing the same thing do you know what yeah. i mean it'd, get, it'd probably get quite boring after a while yeah sure sure so did, did you know what you wanted to be for from a young age was there any kind of any kind of plan in your mind or you know were you, were you like a lot of people didn't know <laughs> I didn't know. I had no idea. I had yeah. no idea whatsoever. My mother used to say, my mother used to say to me, uh, she's, she's 90 now and she's got dementia and she's not as present as she mm. would have been. But she used to say, even right up into adulthood, she said to me, I remember when you were a kid, you used to say to me that you wanted to be a comedian and a farmer. <laughs> and uh, I do stand up and I perform and I make a living. I also live right out in the country. I'm not a farmer, but I do wear wellies a lot and I go out with the dogs and I kind of like the smell of cow shite. So I suppose I <laughs> kind of kind of uh in a sort of a sense, in a in a metaphorical sense or in a theoretical sense, maybe have achieved those two ambitions. Mm. No, I'm not a farmer obviously, but uh I wouldn't I couldn't I wouldn't mind being I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind. Maybe so. Maybe I'm exactly, exactly what I was like when I was seven. You know. Yeah. Oh, I was near as damn it. Do you know what I mean? Like. Yeah. yeah <laughs> but would yeah, you yeah. want to put in those hours as a, as a farmer? You know. I don't know. Maybe I would. I don't know. Maybe I would if I was younger. Yeah. I'd think about it, but uh, it's too late now. Ah, it's never too late, John. <laughs> it's never too late. Get them wellies out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, so how did all this, you know, obviously you're kind of, you're a bit of a jack of all trades. Do you know what I mean? You've, you've done so many different things over the years. So what was the, what was the spark? What was the catalyst for? Just the catalyst of the spark was just stand up. Stand up was always an obsession, right? Mm. I did little bits and pieces here and there, but yeah. in terms of, in terms of standing up on my own, I did kind of stuff with a band for a short while. I was over 30 then as well, but uh, it was just really, really living out some sort of, of what I suppose would have been an, an ambition or a fantasy or a bit of a need because I was so obsessed with stand-up when I was younger. Mm. And I, when I got to be less obsessed with it, so because I was really, I loved it. I watched so much stuff. I never saw much live stand-up when I yeah. was younger because it just wasn't access to it. Um. But I just loved watching, you know, English TV, sitcom, sketch, sketch comedy in particular, the 80s that all supposedly referred to commas alternative comedy, mm-hmm. which kind of came along vis a vis the comedy store and Alexi Sale, Ben Elton, the Rick Mayo, Ed Edmondson, Keith Allen, all those people. That was when I was a teenager and that stuff. Like lit, lit me up, and I just yeah. wanted to. I wanted that, 
I wanted what they were doing. So that's that's what kind of got me into it. Yeah. And then just it it took us it took a long time to get through other stuff like just number one not being able to actually get brave enough price and mm. do it or to take the rejection when it didn't work because I, I don't say if it didn't work because it's not going to work for anybody for the yeah. first time you're gonna you're just gonna die for a while and once I got that in my head later that I was going to die on my arse for a while I thought well I can only I'll only do that for a certain amount of time and then I'll kind of get used to it and then I'll just kind of get into it I mean that's not exactly answering your question but it was basically that it was that obsession with stand-up and that obsession with English in particular uh, sketch comedy of mm. the 1980s into the late 80s into the 90s with the fast show all of that Harry Enfield stuff loved it still love it all of that Harry and Paul in the later noughties everything about that whole scene yeah but it's a different kettle of fish isn't it being obsessed with comedy and actually going into it as a job do you know what I mean it's a it's a huge step yeah. really well I had I had I was quite lucky about going into it as a job I was so lucky that I had no job mm. so it was easy for me to <laughs> tr- I had no job I wasn't in a relationship I had no I had no kids I was early 30s and I just kind of drifted into really for the first time trying to get to doing what I was thinking about doing for years Mm. so it was at that point that I just started doing it and doing it with a bit more focus and doing it with that head of I'll try this and I'll keep trying it and I learn about it and I'll just keep doing it yeah I mean how did you find Um, your how did you find your style I mean everyone's got their own kind of way of doing things was it again was it just trial and error I don't it was just trial and error. It was, it was just doing it. It hmm. was just constantly doing it. And the fact that big rooms of people that are there to laugh because they want to laugh, that's, that, that's the education, really. That's the training. They, they kind of, that reaction, their reactions, their energy, that vibe is all, that's the training uh, of getting some sort of a combination of, what I think is funny and what I what I think I should say versus what actually will make this group of people laugh and trying to combine those two elements. Because in the beginning it was like, I think this is funny and I go out and I try something I thought was funny. Yeah, yeah. And it'd be kind of okay, but it wouldn't always be what I thought it should be. And then something offhand or something more casual or something that I didn't think was funny, all of a sudden is getting laughs. Mm. So that was another learning curve of you got to listen to what the reaction is all the time. Yeah, I suppose you you feed off your audience as well, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's real. It's, it's really, it'd be really crap if the audience wasn't there. I can tell you. That. <laughs> I think that was lockdown basically for a lot of people, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'd be really crap if there was no audiences for stand-ups. <laughs> So, I mean, you kind of said you started off as, as quite intro- introverted. I mean, would you say, are you a, a nervous performer? Have you ever been a nervous performer? Like, do you get the nerves yeah. before oh, you yeah. go on to go on stage? Oh, yeah. First, the first, every time I, before I perform, I'm nervous. Every time. Hmm. Now, it's, it's more, it's much more uh, contained now or regulated or it's not something that freaks me. But in the first five years of stand-up, pretty much it was adrenaline alone. Yeah. It was just yeah. maybe even longer than five years. 
it was like absolute, not absolute terror, but real, real, real nerves. Like every gig, doesn't matter where it was, big or small, mm. everything was just that. Oh my God, here we go. What are you doing with your life? What? Why? Why are you doing this? What is this? And uh, then go out and do it and come away from it and go, wow, it's the best job in the world. <laughs> 20 minutes later. So, and well, that wouldn't be every night. Some nights, it'd be, like, that's the thing about stand up. You go out some night and you're, God, I'm never doing this ever again. Yeah. You wake up in the morning, I'm never doing stand up again. Then you go out the next night, have a great gig. This is the best job in the world. Yeah. Literally, that's, that, that, that's that polarized, depending on how reactions are, you know? Mm. Yeah, that must be so hard when you're starting out, and if you're dying yeah. on you're like just dying on your ass. I mean, to keep yeah. to keep going back. Yeah, it is, but you you just sort of accept that you know mm. that, you know that it's going to it's you're not you're learning something, so you're going to have setbacks, setbacks, setbacks. Yeah, yeah. Over, even when you're years at it, you never know. You're standing up there, and you never actually. It's never complete. It's never. It's just always in that moment of when you're standing there, pretty much. Whether you invent things in that moment or whether you, whether you're just throwing stuff out that you'd normally throw out, it's just still doesn't matter if the same if the same gags, different room. It's a, it's a different gig then. You know, it's not it's not the same. No, no two of them are the same. Yeah, I suppose every night must be different anyway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Obviously, if you're gigging yeah. around the country, you know, yeah. an audience in Sligo is going to be totally different to what you what you get in Dublin. You know. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, so you're you've become a, a bit of as I said, you're earlier you've become a bit of a jack of all trades. You know, you're, you're writing, performing, co-writing a lot of stuff. Was that something that's just kind of happened gradually? Has that been a gradual process? You just kind of picked up all these different different skills. Well. Again, totally accidental. Not accidental, but just it came. It just came with doing stand up. Stand up mm. was the first thing, and then meeting people within stand up, meeting other comedians, people who wrote material, wrote sketches, people who didn't do that, and we just kind of group of people and just talking about stuff. And you come up with a few sketches, and that was the kind of Dave thing, Dave and myself, and yeah, Pat and Dermot and few others, Eleanor Tiernan and James Goldsbury as well, and Declan Ruby, people that I'd known from the beginning. And we just, we were, as everyone was new new to the writing process as well. I mean, I I hadn't written, I still am no, I'm not really, I'd never class myself as a writer because mm. I don't have that discipline. I don't have it. I can write to order. I can write, I can do stuff when there's a project. I can go, okay. Like with the Savage Eye, we had four seasons of that. We had five years. Yeah. We worked at it every year. So there was a groove with that in terms of um, sitting down and there was material and there was ideas and there was stuff I had to work on. And I kind of got disciplined with that. Like it was not like it was a job, but like it had we had to get stuff done or we had to get to a point where these sketches were working. So. I can write to, but in terms of self-motivated stuff and discipline, dreadful. <laughs> so I wouldn't class myself as a writer in that respect. So I hear other people, people say, oh, you're a writer. And then I see that lad getting the Booker Prize. I'm an idiot. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
Well, no, but it's part and parcel of what you do, John. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's yeah, it's all part and parcel, isn't it? I mean, sure, you know, sure, yeah. like what's I mean, you were saying that you've got no real process. I mean, obviously, it's a totally different kettle of fish if you're working with uh, you know, with those got the guys from Savage Eye or Irish Pictorial Weekly and all those guys, and then uh-huh. having to work on your own material for your own tour. I mean, is it is it is I'm assuming as you're saying, it's two totally different disciplines. Yeah. And the, the, the touring thing is great because I'd never done a solo tour before this year. Mm. And I heard so much from Tommy, Tommy Ternan on the road and watching him work. And not necessarily just the performances, I'm just just the whole way he approached it, like physically on the day and how he looked after himself and stuff mm. like that. And I thought that was very interesting. And he's very, he's very thorough and he thinks to everything through and he, he can stay with bits of material and just change a word or two. Whereas I tended to be more thrashy and just use stuff and then get rid of it and don't mm. think of it again. Whereas Tommy was much more, he'd, he'd know the good of, of a piece of material. So I, I, I kind of learned from that and I had a lot of stuff that I'd been working over the years. So I had a lot of stuff that I could bring in Yeah, if I needed to in terms of, content in terms of doing an hour it was an hour and 20 in the end in, uh, on that tour and I was kind of nervous about trying to get an hour that by the time we hit sec the third weekend I was doing an hour and 20 everywhere I went yeah yeah I hadn't intended on doing that but that's what happened and that's the magic of it that's the thing that I like about stand-up is that and with me anyway I don't know how other people work but with me if I get a momentum if I get into a space where I'm working every weekend and it's a couple of nights every weekend, I get into a real rhythm and I can I can really think, I can think on my feet much better when I'm in a rhythm like that. And also during the week, the days in between those gigs, I can actually yeah. change bits and form bits and do tiny little things with the things I'm already doing because I'm in the flow of it or something. Mm. And then when that stopped at the end of October, I didn't do a gig for a couple of weeks and I was really kind of rusty going back going and it's it made me realize how much it's about keeping that keeping the fitness of that keeping yourself in shape as a talker as a talker in public to people to make them laugh keeping that keeping that muscle exercise you know what I mean yeah yeah i mean tommy he's all about wellness and everything isn't he now he's all very very much into his you know mindfulness and uh yeah yeah like i can see why because of the the amount of because it's a lot of stuff he's got a lot of stuff to do he's got a lot of he has to put it out there like he we were on tour i was with tommy on tour for now the the time frame was 16 months but we didn't work all the time for 16 mm, months. Yeah, like yeah, 13, yeah. 13 of the 16, we were out there. Wow. And like, that's a lot. And he had to go out there every night and blast out an hour and 10, an hour and 15. And every night. And then other things, you know, that he had to do. And so so he was constant putting it out there. So you, you have to have some sort of mindful uh retreat mm. i think well, he definitely would need that because he's a spiritual guy anyway yeah but 
definitely, you know, that amount of work, you need a kind of a, a flip side to that. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you're saying you did this very long stint with Tommy, that. Tommy last year. Um, you did this very long stint with Tommy last year. So, I mean, how did that, all, how did it all come about? Did you know Tommy previously or were you recommended yeah. to him? How did it work? Yeah, we, no, we worked, we worked together on his chat show. We did Pat McDonald, Tommy and myself. Mm. Uh, we did a sketch on the chat show for the first three, the first I'm gonna say the first three series, right? Two anyway. So in the chat show, he had three characters that used to talk around the table during uh, a break between guests. So it'd be a stage to be, it'd be it'd be kind of in the not in the dark, but it'd be kind of a low light thing. Mm. Kind of three farmer type characters, three brothers that lived on a farm, and we worked with Tommy on that. So we did two. I think we did three series with him. So we had, we knew each other quite well. So uh, he just, I just got a phone call off him in February 22, just to go and do a couple of gigs in Castle Bar, which I thought were just those ones. But then mm. it turned out there's a tour and I was going, oh great, brilliant. This was like, <laughs> this was like three weeks after, or two weeks after the official end of COVID-19. Yeah. So like I was gone, before that I was gone, what am I going to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. I haven't worked for a couple of years. I don't know what. And then this phone call came and that was great. That changed everything, mm. I tell you. And that was the, if you were to sit down and create a fantasy about how to return to the world of stand-up after a pandemic, you couldn't have written, for me, I couldn't have written a better No, you couldn't have made that up. No way, no way. From Unreal. So I'm very, very grateful for that because that allowed me to go out there again and see all those audiences and work with Tommy and then have the ability to kind of tap into everyone I'd spoken to and seen over a year and a half and be able to sell a, sell a tour myself mm. in, just in this autumn gone by. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd, I'd say he's a great person to learn from as well, oh, yeah. you know, generally. Yeah, he's a great guy overall, you know, full stop. He's a, he's a great human being. Yeah, he really is. Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of seeing Tommy live. Do you know what I mean? You, you could go and see him two or three times on a tour and he you wouldn't get the same same show twice, you know. No. It would be a totally, no. totally different show each night. Yeah. That's him. That's the way he is. He's always going to He's always gonna play. He's always going to go <laughs> change it up a bit. Play, play with it, not do what you expect him to do. Oh play. no, definitely, definitely. So, I mean, do you, do you feel like you're still learning? I suppose you're still, everybody's still oh, learning absolutely. at the end of the day as a performer. More so than before. Mm. Definitely, because just because I do, I do feel that. I genuinely feel that, and I, I think if I didn't feel that, I wouldn't be as happy doing it. Yeah, because it has to be. It kind of has to be that all the time. For me, it has to be that. Now, there was periods of time when I was kind of just going through the motions, that's for sure. Mm. But the last couple of years, it's been different again in that I just get more out of it than I got in the years previous to the pandemic, getting a bit more out of it and learning more. I've been happy. I'm really, because I mean, it's like being given something. If you learn something, like, yeah, yeah. Someone's giving you something, you go, oh, God, that's great. Thanks for that. I'll have that. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that bit of extra life experience as well. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And are you, are you doing stand up? No, 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 no. As I said, I'm a huge, huge comedy fan. I would, yeah. I would have grown up, you know, I would have, I would be of a similar ilk to yourself, comedy wise, you know, uh, like Vic and Bob, obviously, uh, Rick and Aid, and, you know, all the comic strip guys and, you know that kind of that kind of era would be my kind of golden era as well. But it's not something I've ne- I've never wanted to get up on a stage and talk in front of people. <laughs> That'd be yeah. my worst nightmare. It's a mad thing to do, all right. <laughs> no, I couldn't. I couldn't imagine anything worse. So I mean, you know, <laughs> fair play to you guys. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like uh, it is. It is a bit of a thing, all right. It is, and during that. You know, I, I thought, I think, I thought so highly, I think so highly of it as a, as an art form. Mm. Oh, it really is. I so, I really thought so highly of it when I was a kid and then kind of getting on with it and still through the, through the years where I, I didn't, I hadn't started stand-up. And then when I started doing stand-up, I really revered the whole thing and I still do. And when the pandemic thing came, I was like uh, doing just, doing nothing mm. uh, just at home and I was thinking I had this mindset for years about people that didn't do stand-up were unlucky or something yeah I was and then after about a year <laughs> of no no stand-up and just watching life go by I thought, mm. no, they're lucky they're lucky they they can go and just get entertained and they've got jobs and <laughs> they I'm <laughs> I'm the Egypt. They're lucky. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. You know, I was going. You know, I'm. I'm so in it. I was so in it for so long. Yeah, yeah. That I couldn't see any other type of life. And uh, then after a couple of years, I thought I'm sitting around. I'm not moving anywhere. And then I thought, God, this is what these people that I know, they don't move anywhere normally. Anyway, they don't have to drive four hours a night to go and tell jokes to someone for 20 minutes. Yeah. Don't have to get on a flight at five o'clock in the morning to get to a gig in London and do something. They don't have to be on set somewhere randomly at seven o'clock in the morning. Mm. You know what I mean? And I started thinking, God, they're lucky. (laughs) And then it was over. I went, no, I'm lucky. (laughs) Oh, no, I think people would swap with you, John, in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's just the way, that's the way my mind went. My, mm. my my buddy friend Colin McDonald, a great comedian from Dundalk, he was talking about pandemic and he was talking about comedians all lying at home with no no gigs. <laughs> he said they were like radiators, you know, radiators when they need to be bled. Yeah. You know, when you need to there's an airlock in them and you have to open a pipe and let them let all their jokes out and then <laughs> <laughs> then put them to bed and wash them down or something because they're just backing up with bullshit that they'd normally say. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, the creative side of what you do as well. Do you know what I mean? There must be, you're like, literally, your your mind's working, you know, 24-7 about, you know. Yeah. What's what's yeah. the next thing you're going to talk about on stage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it can, depending on the gig, it can be, that can be, uh, that process can start uh, anywhere from two days beforehand mm. to to an hour beforehand. Wow! 
depending on what I'm going to do. But, you know, you end up thinking, oh, yeah, that, and oh, yeah, better. Like, that could be for something you're going to do in three days' time. But, you're fit, you know, I try and visualize the thing before I do it or something. Mm. God, I sound like such a wanker. <laughs> You've been spending too much time with Tommy. <laughs> I like to visualize it. I like to visualize my art. Ah, it's all very, all very deep, John. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, do you, do you have a favourite aspect of what you do? Will the will is this, the stand up is always will always come first. It would always be if you can only do one thing for the rest of your life. Would the would the stand up be the thing that you would choose? Yeah. Yeah. I guess it would be, but it would be, but it's so hard to maintain if you've got to keep moving with it. It's yeah. Hard to, so I'd like to write for other people. I'd like to. I find that I'm able to kind of lock into what other people are doing. If they needed to do bits or wanted me to write bits, I'd love to write bits for other performers. Mm. I really got a big kick out of that. When we did Savage Eye and we did other stuff as well, pictorial, because I wrote sketches for people and I wrote, got such a kick out of watching those sketches on, on the show and mm. hearing the words that I wrote, someone else using them. I just get a great kick out of that. Yeah. Again, it's another, it's another old, uh, you know, edge to the sword, isn't it? You know, like another. Another aspect to what you do. Another aspect right. of it. There's so much you can do. I'd love to do lots of things, but getting time to do stuff is the big issue. And mm, oh, yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. To, I'd love to do drama or something. I don't mean be in anything. I wouldn't necessarily want to be in anything anymore. Well, maybe sketch comedy, but maybe bits of sketch comedy, but I'd love to write something for somebody else. I'd love to be involved with someone else who had an idea. And wanted to do something, or maybe even just a drama. I'd love to be write a fucking comedy drama thing or something. I'm we'll never some, going to do it. We'll put some feelers out there, John. Do you know what I mean? We might find yeah. you. We might find you somebody. <laughs> Gobshite needs project. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I mean, you've become a really, no, very familiar face on the stand-up circuit over this this last year or so. Every time I look at a festival, yeah. uh, you know, festivals and stuff, you're there and you're. You're, you're slogging it, you know, yeah. doing your thing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, but it'd be interesting. Just be interesting for other things to happen too, and mm. just wonder what to do. Well, that, next... that that farmer door yeah. might still be open if you if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't mind that either. <laughs> maybe there's a lot of sitcom about a farmer, Irish yeah. farmer. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's yeah, been done. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. The scope's there. The scope's there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you're just out of this. You've just completed this massive Irish tour. Um sure, well, it was yeah, well, it was bigger, yeah, big enough for a for a tour. That's uh that's that's pretty good going. So I mean good, what was the what was the learning experience like for that? Has your opinion changed going into it to what you're what how you're now feeling about doing a, a tour of that size? The, the 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 biggest thing that I took from all that was that I want to do it again. Mm. That's that's the biggest thing because like I was so nervy about it before mm. I did it. I didn't think I was going to be. I didn't know how I was going to manage those performances for that length of time over a seven week period. When I got the first weekend over with, and I got into the second weekend, once the second weekend was up and running, I had like 
not decided, but I, I, I was kind of going, okay, this is actually, this is a really good way to do this. You got your sea legs. I got sea legs and I, I got into this thing of, for years and years, it was always like, do the clubs, do 20 minutes, mm. do, you know, do support for people, do 25 minutes, 25 minutes, have it all kind of, not figured out, but have a sort of a set and a time limit and a this and a that. And then maybe do stuff for TV, which is all structured. Yeah. The tour, this tour, like I knew, I knew where I'd start in terms of the set. I knew where the set would finish. I knew mm. the 20 minutes at the end. But it left me with this thing that showed itself after about three or three or four gigs. This thing in the middle, this bit in the middle where I had time to mess around with something or anything I was thinking about. Mm. And I could just mess with that, go on a tangent, have a laugh with it or not have a laugh with it and go back, go back to the material that I was going to do anyway. But it just, it, that was the best feeling in years and years. I have to say, since, since I started, it was like starting all over again. Yeah. It was a brand new, a brand new learning thing of having that bit of time and audiences. When you go out there as a, and I didn't know this because I'd never done a tour, but when, when people are paid to see me, then there was a little bit of leeway as well. Yeah. For me to mess or play or find something else or talk to the audience or something that was not planned. And if you're a support actor, if you're doing 20 minutes in a club, you don't get a chance to do that. Mm. So this thing of just playing with it in the middle gave me the greatest kick like that I've had, that I've had in years in stand-up. So that made me uh, want to do, once the tour was over, I thought, oh yeah, I'll do this again. Because it's a learning curve in terms of material as well. Mm. If, I'm working, if I'm doing an hour, an hour and 15, an hour and 20, three nights a week, four nights some weeks, for weeks on end, I'll come up with things. I'll come up with new bits and a different way of doing old bits. And it'll all be a momentum. And I love that momentum. Stuff happens when I'm when you're moving. That's kind of part of life as well. Mm. To be out there to get stuff done, you know. Yeah. So, and obviously, like as while you're even while you're going through the tour, you're going to be picking up things. You're going to be gaining the, that confidence. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like as I said, as you said, knowing people that have come to see you specifically. Yeah. And that that didn't sink in for for. Mm. I was just plowing it out as normal. But then I thought, I just realized, oh God, you can have you have time here. Yeah. Not on a clock. Okay, you're not going to stand up there for two hours and bore the shit out of them. <laughs> you have time if you want it, you know. And uh, I thought that was brilliant, and I, I look forward to doing that again. Mm. That was the biggest. That was the biggest learning curve, and also another learning curve was stop eating chips, <laughs> stop eating chocolate, and stop eating shit at night, because in order to do fifty-five, which I am now. In order to do an hour and 20 or an hour and 15 every night, you have to be fit. Because mm. I felt it on me the fucking <laughs> the first weekend, the third night, and my back was bollocks. Oh, and no. was gone. I was going, oh, this is, you've not done this. This is like you're extending yourself here and you're not fit. So you got to be fit for it as well. That's another learning curve. <laughs> So talk about performing live. So who's making you laugh at the moment, comedy-wise? the most ideal life coach. <laughs> uh, 
I'll just see who's making me laugh. Yeah, who's making you laugh on the on the circuit at the moment, comedy wise? Ah, oh, lots of people. McSavage always makes me laugh. Yeah. Kevin Gavdi always makes me laugh. Eve Darcy, who I was working with the other night, always makes me laugh. There's a few newer heads as well. I like Tony Cantwell. He's not new. Mm. Yeah, he's very good. Tony Emma Doran, I think she's great. Sinead from Cork, that's her name, or um, Sinead Quinlan. Mm-hmm. She's really good. Really enjoy her. I saw her all the way in October. So yeah, and that makes me laugh. And also watching South Park again. <laughs> I was watching it the other night and I really cracked up again. I haven't seen it. I used to watch it all the time. Yeah. And then for years, no. But lately, just started tuning into it again. And actually, when you mentioned Vic and Bob, I was watching old Vic and Bob as well. Yeah. I was watching old Vic and Bob, an old fast show recently. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they don't yeah. age. Don't, they're, they're just so oh. timeless, you know? Vic and Bob was just so fucking funny, man. <laughs> just those other shows that they did. And the the one, the, the more recent one with Matt, Matt Perry or Matt Berry, House of Fools. Oh, House of Fools, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> and uh, Alan Park, uh, Steve Coogan. Yeah, yeah. Steve Coogan and that kind of show he did about the uh, sort of the, this time. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Pretty great, just great. And just I love that. I love that level where he's at. That kind of what he's looking at, what is what he's observing, and what he's putting that you know. And he's he's turning it over real quick as well. And I love the fact that. In, on that set, he just observed a couple of things about those shows. When he walks between one part of the set and the other, it's about four <laughs> steps too much. I love that. And that was it the black, black and tans. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just watch that and you're like, oh my God. And that's, that, the thing about that as well is that him and uh, the Gallagher brothers, Nolan mm. and the Gallagher, their folks are from kind of the same neck of the woods. With yeah, yeah. Sligo Leitrim or Sligo Mayo border. And the character that he did on that night with the black and tans thing, he was a fellow called Martin Brennan. That was the character. And everybody yeah, yeah. Brennan in the town that he's from, he was so right with that. He picked up a particular type of person from that neck of the woods. Yeah, yeah. Got them spot on. It was absolutely brilliant watching it. Having met all those people, <laughs> they're doing it. It was really, really good. He kind of he reinvents Alan Partridge, doesn't he? Do you know what I mean? It's just like every time, every few years, he kind of he seems to reinvent him for a new. It does, yeah, and it's it's really great because what a stroke of genius when he was mm. whatever age, probably not even thirty, and he came up with a character that was way older than him. Talk about how to look forward to the future. Yeah, I'd say they're probably both the same age. Both the same age now. Yeah, exactly. about music now so have there have there been any major music loves in your life uh be a be a singer or a a band oh yeah god i was a music fan always from day one Mm -hmm. i was listening to i i was i guess it was always new wave new waves were where i started so it would have been it was it was london calling it was the clash Mm -hmm. was 
it was Dr. Feelgood, it was uh, Joy Division, New Order, on to Smiths, who I liked but didn't like as much as other people. Yeah, yeah. I did like them. I admired them more than liked them and still do admire them more than like them because the tunes were amazing. Mm. And Marcy, I've seen Marcy a few times in life. He's an amazing, that's an amazing show. Mm. It's just so good. And he looks so Irish the older he gets. <laughs> that's a big Irish fella shouting and roaring. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, all sorts, all sorts. I was I was obsessed with REM when I was about yeah. 15. Because they just sort of turned up on radio over here. Mm. Fanning Sean, REM, REM. And then I, I, bought, I, bought, I bought their second album when it came out. And it was such a palaver trying to buy an REM album in Sligo in 1985. <laughs> it really was. You had to order it. It would take ages to come in. Wow. And eventually I got the thing. And then I listened to it inside out, upside down. Mm. It was the only thing I listened to for a year until I bought the third album. You know what I mean? So I was into them, big style. And then I saw them live then a couple of times, but that was kind of after the... I went to see I went to see U2 in Crow Park in 1985, mm-hmm. the day after I finished the leaving cert. And I went up there and U2 were headlining and Squeeze were on for them and the alarm I don't know if you remember that yeah uh, REM REM were second on that bill wow and nobody listened to them they were just like this band from who, who are they kind of thing yeah yeah and everyone was just singing U2 songs throughout their set and uh, I was disgusted <laughs> and Michael Stipe turned around to the band and he performed the songs to the band and they all floated at, at the end of the song. Because he was so fed up with everyone else not listening to him. But anyway, yeah, I was big into them, big into them for a long time. And then that kind of went off me then. I didn't really um all the music, lots of stuff. Lots and lots and lots of stuff. All the way these days it goes all the way from REM to Dinosaur Junior to mm-hmm. the Cult to uh, John Spencer's Blues Explosion. Oh, wow, yeah. Big Star to The Birds to The Stones, everything. Everything. And I like country music now more than I ever did. And I don't mean Daniel O'Donnell. I mean... <laughs> I mean Are George you talking Jones. more kind of Americana? or American, yeah. Well, George Jones, mm-hmm. um, Merle Haggard, and... Um, Chris Christopherson, sort of. Mm. Chris Jones above them all. What a voice like. You know? Oh, yeah, what definitely. Like. Yeah, lots of stuff. Lots and lots of stuff. I listened to so much music over the years. I can't even remember half of them. And, uh, but yeah, I love it. I just love it. I love I love, I love Yeah. It. So having your career choice, would it, did that mean that you weren't able to see a lot of bands live? No, I, I managed to see a lot, a lot of music. I managed to see an awful lot of bands. Mm-hmm. I worked as um, the late 90s into the noughties and kind of overlapping when I started doing stand-up. I worked as a local crew uh, backstage for in Dublin for yeah. 
down at the what's now the three arena and down on oh wow down, yeah place like that i saw a lot of music that way as well but since the stand-up started and since i started working mm. i haven't been i've actually missed out more on it lately than i've missed out ever before because there's a friend of mine a guy called michael cook and i went to school with he lives in sheffield and we go to gigs or we did go to gigs all the time so he'd buy tickets for something over in the UK and I'd go over there and we'd go and see Echo. Mm. Echo which was one of our favourite. We'd always go and see Echo and the Bunnymen. I saw them at the I saw them in the Olympia in February of last year. Really great. Um so I would have gone to a lot of gigs up until the pandemic. And then since pandemic, it's been poor. You've been busy, John. You've been, you've been, been busy. busy. But, I hope, <laughs> but I hope to get back to that because I'd love to go and see. The Damned were another favourite band of mine. Fucking love The Damned. Yeah, there's all these bands. They're, re they're touring again, you know, like nostalgia yeah, yeah. is huge. It is. and But The Damned, the thing I, because when I started to go and see bands with Gusto, like I'm talking about maybe 2005, and I really started going at it again. Mm. 2005, 2006, 2007. And all these bands that I thought I'd never see because yeah. these were the bands that I grew up with. Yeah. Next thing they're touring. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, they're <laughs> coming out for a, how are you doing? Uh, good to see you. And now we're going to retire. But no, they're they're working again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're actually working. And when they come out, they're gigging like normal gigging. Even though... They're dipping into hits and they're dipping into albums from the past. But still, especially with The Damned, The Damned were so together as a band. Mm. And they were so like, uh, all that thing about punk and we can't play and no one can play. They'd obviously fucking never stop playing when I, by the time I got to see them in maybe the late noughties. Mm. I was thinking, this band is amazing. Just amazing. Like musically, it was tight. Super tight. Yeah. Dave Vanian got to be some sort of an OCD case because everything is choreographed. His moves are choreographed. He's like a fella that works in squares, you know. Mm. Everything's in a square and he moves like somebody that's possessed with fucking <laughs> the need to have dimensions absolutely perfectly spot on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's all these bands though, isn't it? Like the Mission and you know all those guys. Yeah, they're, they're just they're touring well. and you know. Yeah. Mission, uh, Bunnymen, Cult, the Mission, uh, Killing Joke. I went to see a few years ago. Mm. They were just fucking great, just great. Uh, the noise they were making it was just amazing. And one of the best gigs I've ever seen. This was about seven or eight years ago. Was Ride in? Oh wow. In Nottingham in that rock city in Nottingham mm. that was a that was one of the best gigs I've ever been at Possibly it's a great venue as well isn't it it's one of the best venues I think in the UK it's an absolutely brilliant venue and I'm going there next year I'm actually going to book the, the damned show in Nottingham next year just just going to make sure I get to that and even if I have to book it a year ahead, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, work your, your, your touring schedule around And hope around they don't it. die. <laughs> oh, God, don't say that. So what's next for you, John? As I said, now, you, now you're out of this out of this tour. Um, so are you just cracking working. on? and Just keep gigging. I've got yeah. club gigs all the time. I was in Dublin all weekend. Um, 
this Thursday night I'll be in Limerick at a gig in Kilmary Lodge. Then I'll be in Castlebar Friday night. Then nothing the following weekend. Then it's be Laughter Lounge in Dublin for the Christmas weekend. Another corporate gig then the following weekend. January's yeah. fairly busy. It's clubs mostly. Clubs, you know, just do the clubs and do. Then next spring I have, I've only got a few, but I've got a few theatre gigs. One in I've got the Hawkswell in Sligo again on, on the 27th of January. Mm-hmm. And I've got the Dock in Carrick and Shannon on the 9th of February. I've got Aintus in Castle Blaney in Monaghan, that theatre, lovely theatre up there, on the 23rd of February. I've got the Civic Theatre in Tala on the 1st of March. And I'm playing the Abbey Tavern in Hoth on the 2nd of March. God, that'll be an intimate one. <laughs> huh? That'll be an intimate one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. You can't swing yeah. a cat in there. You'll be, <laughs> people on your lap, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a nice nice venue. I like the Abbey. Mm. Oh, no, it's an amazing venue. Last time I saw Tommy was in the uh, was in the Abbey Tavern, I think. Was it? A couple of years ago. I think it might have been before before it lockdown, maybe. Before. So that's that's the next... Mm. So how far ahead do you, pl- do you plan? Are you... Are you kind of just taking things as they come or how far ahead of yourself do you have to work? Well, I never really work too far ahead. Uh, I'm beginning to do a bit more of that because I just need to. Mm. Uh, but I have those few gigs are planned for there'll always be club gigs and there'll always yeah, be other yeah, clubs yeah. coming up. There'll always be something to do somewhere. And then I'm going to do the same type of tour next year as yeah. I did this year. So Excellent. I will hopefully for September, October next year. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to try and do the same sort of thing, 20 plus dates if I can. Mm. Just keep that momentum if I can. And I've been trying to do it for fucking years and I don't. Yeah. I don't but <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to make, make a bit more content, get some more sketch content out there, try and do something in that regard and try and get more um, regular with that. Mm. Because there's a lot of stuff to be done. There's a lot of stuff happening in the world. Yeah, you have to get of, get that right and hat on, John. Yeah, well, there's a lot of things to be to be to 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 do to do to com to comedy up because mm. oh, shit. You know, you got got to There's not there's a lack of it at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Of, in this country, definitely a lack of it. So hopefully, I can kind of cut into that a little bit. Yeah. Definitely. So thanks so much for chatting with me today, John. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure too for me. Thank you for asking me. 